0: Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Voth, the host of the show, and joining us is His Excellency Bishop Robert Barron. Bishop Barron, welcome. Hey, Brandon. Always good to be on with you. A couple episodes ago, I introduced you as His Eminence, and we got all these emails from oh, yeah. saying, "Like, oh, did you guys hear something we haven't heard?" <laughs> oh you yeah, or <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, that's how rocketing we'd... up the hierarchy <laughs> as we speak,
0: and that's how we break the news through a <laughs> yeah. coded introduction on the podcast. Um, listen, what's been going on? I know you you started confirmation season. How's that
1: been? Gone. well that's that's probably the big news this time of year in LA we do all the confirmations pretty much in the months after uh, Easter and uh, once that season kicks in it pretty much takes up all your time As we record these words it's a Monday I had a confirmation Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday I've got one tonight and then one tomorrow night so it'll be seven confirmations in five days but that's typical this time of year Now I kind of like the fact in LA that we, we get them over all in one intense period. I kind of like it that way. Um, But I I must say some days it is exhausting when you're finishing your second confirmation of a hundred and some kids, you know, but generally I like confirmation season a lot. I enjoy going out to the parishes and seeing these young people and trying to get them. Like tonight, you know, I'm going to go down to um, the St. Bonaventure mission in Ventura, which was founded by Junipero Sarah. And what I'm going to talk about, I'll do something new tonight uh, about Sarah and bringing the faith to this part of the world and to say to these these kids, hey, we're passing the torch on to you. You know, the people that brought the faith here 200 some years ago, it's been passed on steadily and now to you to defend the faith and spread the faith and you're confirmed. And so anyway, uh, see, part of it, Brandon, I get sick of hearing my own homily. So when you've got 37 (laughs) confirmations, you can't give the same homily every night. I mean, I, I do a number of standard ones, and they're okay, but I, I get I get sick of them, so I try to come up with new ones.
0: Good. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk about a new development there in your state of California yeah. that I know a lot of the bishops there are are pretty concerned <laughs> about. You just had a big meeting to talk about this new development, and I you've been writing a little bit about it. Uh, But what I'm talking about is California Senate Bill 360. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just a quick background on this. This is a proposed bill. So this is not a law. It's not something that's been settled yet. It's a proposed bill that seeks to force priests to report any crimes of sexual abuse that the priest learns about in the confessional, okay? So if somebody, uh, go ahead, you want to add a That's The
1: the point of differentiation, because uh, in California, as in many other states, priests are already what we call mandated reporters. So along with like teachers and coaches and many other categories, priests are mandated to report any suspicion of child sexual abuse that comes to their attention. So if I hear about it or someone comes to me, so that's already on the books and the church has no quarrel with that. But we've always had in California, as in many other states, all the other states, really, an exemption for confession. I think in California, they call it like a penitential conversation, you know, is exempted from this. Because what's problematic here, Brandon, is if this law passes, now a priest who hears of the sexual abuse of, of a minor in the confessional will be legally obligated to report it and that's directly repugnant to the to the law and practice of the church which holds to the inviolability of the seal of confession so that's the that's the point of of uh, contention here
0: okay we're going to get to all the implications of that this particular law but first let's let's talk about confession i think most catholics yeah. understand the basics you know i go in there i confess <clears throat> my sins and then the priest in the name of christ absolves me of all of these sins but Relevant to this particular bill, help us to better understand this sacrament, especially talk about the seal of confession
1: and why that's so important we well, you know put it first in a general context that Catholics are a sacramental people, so the grace of Christ and Aquinas would say it's because we're we're not angels we have both souls and bodies right so the soul responds to the kind of the verbal, the intellectual the conceptual, but the body responds to to the physical signs because of that Aquinas argues that we have a sacramental system. The grace of Christ comes to us in these sacraments, which are always a hybrid of what He calls form and matter. Right? They're always a hybrid of, of the intellectual, the conceptual, the verbal, and the material. So whether it's the it's the species of bread and wine at Eucharist, it's the water at baptism, it's the oil at the at confirmation. Um, in um, in confession, the, the words of absolution—that's the formal side—but then the the imposition of hands, you know, the voice of the of the confessor—that's the material side. So that's the general context that the grace of Christ is made available to us in these sacramental signs that are hybrids of both form and matter.
0: Okay, and talk to us about. The seal of confession. Um, when you, when somebody comes to you as a priest, um, I've always found this interesting that confession is different than, say, spiritual direction, where in spiritual direction, if I meet with a priest, you know, monthly, each month, he can say, Hey, you know, we're talking about the same thing that you've brought up the last three months. It seems there's a pattern, but confession, nothing leaves that confessional, not only verbally, but even in the mind of the priest that there's a seal around this particular confession
1: that seals it from all space and all time. We want there to be absolutely no obstacle to someone seeking the forgiving grace of Christ, right? So if that grace in the ordinary sense is made available through this sacrament, we don't want anything to stand in the way of that. And one of the most uh, uh, significant obstacles would be the fear that what I disclose in the, in the confessional, will now be made public, right? As I was saying before, in in baptism, it's Christ who baptizes through the instrumentality of the the minister. Um, In in confession, the same thing. It's Christ who hears and offers forgiveness through the instrumentality of the priest. We don't want anything to stand in the way of that privileged encounter with the grace of Christ, which is why the church, as you say quite rightly, has surrounded uh, confession, with this absolute seal of secrecy, it's to it's to give people access to the grace they need. You know that's the reason. Uh, let me tell you a story. When I was studying uh, my fourth year in the seminary, we had a, a, a practical course in confession, so we did practice confessions, that sort of thing. You know, but the teacher and it was it was burned into my soul. I've never forgotten it in 33 years of priesthood. He said, "If someone asks you, Father, could you hear my confession?" the answer is always yes. If it's inconvenient to you, the answer is yes. If it's dangerous to you, the answer is yes. If it's putting your life in danger, the answer is yes. See? But then he added, once the confession has happened, your attitude must be, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And if someone, this is, he went on, if someone inquires, oh, what happened in that confession? The answer is, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Now, if saying that, you know, say it. I mean, it's like, that's your attitude is it, you, you, it didn't happen. If that attitude is dangerous to you, it didn't happen. If that attitude puts your own life in danger, it didn't happen. That's how seriously we take confession, both the access to it and then the privacy that surrounds it. Both are absolute for us.
0: One thing that's struck me, I've heard this from so many of my priest friends, is that when you talk to priests or bishops across every spectrum, theologically, spiritually, whether they're super pious or, you know, fairly lax. Every single one of them uh, respects the sacredness of the seal of confession. It's like that one element is held with so much value, no matter
1: what else is going on in the priest's life. You know, it's funny, Brandon, you say that because uh, it's an observation that, wasn't it Ronald Knox made it? I think it was Knox, that the church with all of its corruption and all of its sin and all of its failures on the part of its leadership. But what's the one thing which has weirdly remained absolute and consistent over 2,000 years? Do this in memory of me is oddly the mass has endured, you know, despite all of our weakness and all of our stupidity and everything. But yet, that command of the Lord, do this in memory of me, has has not faded away. We still do it in memory of him, you know. I think you're right. There's in a similar way that priests, no matter where you are on the ideological spectrum, it's just central to our priesthood uh, that. That confession is so sacred as to be inviolable. Uh, You know, Pope Francis talks about the, the field hospital. Well, the confessional is one of the main operating theaters, if you want, of that field hospital of the church. When people are coming to be cured, that's where they come. They come to the sacrament of reconciliation. And so don't put up any obstacle to it. Don't frighten anybody away from it. That's our perspective.
0: Okay, now let's transition back to this proposed bill. Again, this is California Senate Bill 360. I think it's coming to the floor for discussion there in the California Senate. Um, so not a law, not a done deal. It, it may not even come to be, uh, but let's talk about its implications if it does pass. So I think there's a lot of Catholics, maybe even in California, who would hear about this and would say, okay, you know, I totally get the sanctity of the seal of confession and all that, but can't we just make an exception for this one particular case of when when people either confess that they've abused children or they were abused by someone else can we make an exception for that uh, what do you say to that kind of
1: reasoning no, <laughs> no but i'm serious that's the right answer is no uh you know murder is a terrible thing mass murder is even worse uh rape is a terrible thing uh uh you know, go through the whole gamut of sins. I mean, so once you start down that road of like, well, isn't child abuse terrible? Well, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. But there's a whole slew of, of behaviors that are terrible. But I, I'm not going to say, well, therefore, I'm going to come to the police with what I hear in the in the confessional. That violates this this higher, more sacred justice, which is the reestablishment of a right relationship between Christ and, and one of his uh, members of his mystical body. So the answer is is no
0: I that sort of slippery slope argument strikes me too that I think most of us would agree child abuse is either the worst or one of the worst possible sure. crimes but on what principle basis do we just kind of stop there yeah. you know why not require priests to to bring forth any crime revealed in the confession? right
1: And then you know I think the next step to take here is uh, we're, I, I've been talking now as a Catholic, right. But I'm also going to speak as an American because the First Amendment, which is so sacred, the first, the first uh, you know, of the Bill of Rights, gets in the way, yes, of the establishment of an official religion. So our founding fathers, I think, very wisely saw that. We don't want an official religion. And if I can put it this way, that's holding off the possible aggression of religion toward the civil state. You know, that, that religion now takes over the civil state. Our founding fathers, I would say, quite rightly didn't want that. I'm not a theocrat. I don't want a theocracy in the United States. I like that uh, requirement. However, the second uh, clause, right, of the First Amendment, that the government shall make no law um, prohibiting the free exercise of religion. Well, there's the flip side of it. What's that holding off but the aggression of the state toward religion? So they saw quite wisely, it cuts both ways. We don't want an excessively aggressive religion, and we don't want an excessively aggressive state that will now interfere, not just with the beliefs of people, but with the free exercise of their religion. As I read this SB 360, Brandon, it's an egregious example of the state interfering very aggressively In the interior life of the church, how the church understands its own sacramental theology and discipline. And so I would consider this as one of the most uh, remarkable violations of this civically sacred principle of the freedom of religion. And again, talk about slippery slopes. I mean, once we start down that road of, of the state kind of monitoring the religious practice of the various faiths, we're in some... Uh, serious danger in the direction of totalitarianism. And and that's a way to, to define totalitarianism is the movement of the state into every aspect of life. You know, I love the fact that alongside of government, we have a whole range of institutions that mediate between the state and the individual. And one of the primary ones would be the religions. When the state begins to overstep all this and to gather everything under its own aegis, Watch out! That's the totalitarianism that the ch- the church found the founding fathers uh, uh, feared. What do you
0: say to this sort of objection when it comes to that clause of the First Amendment, which says that Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free <laughs> exercise of religion? Some people might say, "Well, there are certain religious practices that are just so." egregious, you know, maybe human sacrifice sure. or you know, genital mutilation, where do we draw the line between the religious practices that should be allowed and those that the government should cur-
1: curtail? Yeah, well I'm mean, I think and those are obvious examples, you know, if, if someone say hey, it's my religion that you know, a virgin should be sacrificed every Saturday. Well, i of course the, the civil state intervenes to prevent that. Um, I mean, and I—that's what they'll do. They'll use that kind of form of argumentation here. But I just think reasonable people see that that distinction. You know, that sure there are ex- extreme examples, I suppose, of, of religious. But the very fact, Brandon, that this thing has been on the books of our country for two hundred years or more—that they've they've respected the integrity of the confessional all these years. Uh, I think it's very special pleading to say that, oh, this is an example of, you know, a human sacrifice or something. Uh, so, no, it's not an absolute as, oh, hey, it's my private religion, you know, that I, that I can uh, run around, you know, naked every Tuesday in the public square. Well, <laughs> no, sure, of course. But uh, but I don't think any reasonable person sees that there's a even proportionate analogy between those two cases.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think what also bugs me about this bill is it doesn't seem to accomplish its stated goal of yeah. say reducing the amount of childhood sexual abuse. Because I'm thinking if you're an abuser and you want forgiveness from God, but this bill has gone through, it's become law and it's now required that if I confess this to a priest, he's going to tell the authorities that's not going to, all that's going to do is keep me from right. going to confession. Yeah. It's not really going to stop anything and it's going to prevent innocent people from being able to confess their sins to priests. So I don't think it it even moves the needle on the question of sexual abuse. It does almost
1: no good and does an enormous amount of harm. I think that's quite right. And show me the very clear, compelling evidence that, that lots and lots of young people would have been protected if we had this in place. I think that's a very hard case to make. And I would say the burden of proof, given our history around the First Amendment, lies powerfully on the side of those that want to change this. But it would certainly invite chaos in our confessional practice and would cause enormous problems overnight for priests. Now, here's the reason if this law goes through in California, now what happens overnight to every priest in California, you're between the rock and the hard place, the rock of federal or of of prosecution and the hard place of excommunication. (laughs) Because in the canon law of the church, a conscious violation of the seal results in automatic excommunication. So overnight, every priest in California would have that awful option, either the danger of prosecution and I suppose imprisonment or excommunication, which ones this going to be, you know, so that we're being compelled onto the horns of that dilemma is unconscionable.
0: Okay, we've kind of talked around the issue from several different angles, but suppose you were standing up in front of legislators and they say, hey, you're a priest, you're a bishop, tell us why. You think we, this penitential exemption should stay in place. Why should we allow you to keep this? Because of the First
1: confession? Amendment. I mean, if I were arguing with legislators, I, I would perhaps explain, as I did just a few minutes ago, what confession means to Catholics. But I think in a secular, purely political context, I'd appeal to the First Amendment. And this is a very powerful violation of the, of the right to the free exercise of, of religion, and that it does indeed put us on a very slippery slope. I'd also argue this, Brandon, I think that for some time now, the the civil state has been aggressing our public institutions. Think of now Catholic schools, universities, hospitals, how the secular state, especially around sexual issues and transgender issues and abortion and contraception, has been trying to compel us to do things in our own institutions opposed to our principles. So that's been happening already at the public level. This bill, it seems to me, is reaching even more aggressively into the, the inner life of the church. So now into the confessional itself, into the way we construe our own sacramental practice. There's that creeping totalitarianism that worries me as a Catholic, but also as an American, it worries me is this, this aggression on the part of the state. Um, I think I might argue with, uh, with legislators along those lines, but also having explained how central this is to Catholics. All
0: right. Well, this is a little speculative and I don't want to spend too much time on this because we don't know how this is all going to play out, but just suppose that this bill passes, it gets to the governor's desk, he signs it, it becomes a law. Um, Now, many people think even after it becomes a law, it will likely be challenged and perhaps overturned in courts that it won't actually survive to take effect. But just Just suppose it goes through and that this is the law of the land, at least in California. You're a bishop. You're a priest. What what do you do?
1: Yeah, and here you know, I'd I'd caution prudence because as you say quite rightly, we're at a very preliminary stage of the process. This is not even on the books yet. My fervent prayer is that this thing gets blocked at whatever level. So I think we take it step at a time and see – you know, what's possible. But I I think the bottom line, Brandon, is a priest can't violate the seal of confession, period. Uh, If the state is compelling us to do that, then we have to resist. You know, if the state is doing something that is repugnant to the deepest convictions of the church, we we have to resist it. it. Now, it's similar to you're a Catholic doctor, and if the state is compelling you to perform abortions that are repugnant to your conscience, what do you do? You know. Now, that's what they're testing in court all the time, those cases. Um, or the, you know, the HHS stuff with the contraception mandate and all that. So it's a similar situation there. It seems to me though, uh, we can't compromise on this. What should we do even now? It seems to me not just Catholic priests who are most immediately in danger, but all the Catholic faithful, you're a Catholic in California and you're seeking uh, the forgiveness of your sins through the confession. This is making this highly problematic for you. I think Catholics need to be roused to political action and ask some serious questions about how we're voting and who we're putting in office and, and what uh, what we can do as a, as a body politic to uh, oppose ourselves to these uh, proposals. So I'd like to see the, the church. Uh, kind of roused around this issue.
0: Let's close with a a quote, a famous quote that your great mentor, Cardinal Francis George gave a few years before he died. At At the time, many people thought this was just dramatic overstatement, but he said, I expect to die in my bed, which he did. My successor will die in prison and his successor will die a martyr in the public square his successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. Now, I think at the time people thought it was so unlikely that priests or bishops would ever actually go to prison here in America. But should we read that quote any differently now in light of these? It's, sorts of developments? Um, It's a
1: beautifully crafted quote and uh, it reflects Cardinal George's uh, eloquence. But I can tell you this, Brandon, having sat at the table with him many times, uh, he knew exactly what we're talking about. He saw it coming very prophetically. He saw the aggression, the increasing aggression of the secular state. And he had no illusions about it. Uh, He was, you know, he was a a proud American, but he saw the shadow side of, of what's been happening to American democracy the last, like, 50 years. And he did see that, that there was a collision course between at least the the tack being taken by many people in our political situation now and the church, he also had a keen historical sense of how this has happened over and over again in the history of the church. Sometimes the church and the civil society walk, you know, um, in lockstep. Think of, of, you know, times during the Middle Ages, although not every time in the Middle Ages, you know, often uh, popes and and princes clashed. Sometimes there is tension other times, there's outright hostility. Think now Thomas More. Think of uh, Maximilian Kolbe. Sometimes the state becomes so aggressive toward the church that the only uh, answer is martyrdom. And hence his example of, of his what second successor dying at the end of a rope. So, you know, he's being eloquent, maybe a little melodramatic, but that's born of someone that knew a lot about American history and the trajectories within it. And a lot about the history of the church and how culture and religion relate to each other. Now, again, I don't want to over-dramatize it. I don't. You know, so I'm expecting now priests to be hanged in the public square. But the issue that he put his finger on is a real issue. And therefore, we've got to be uh, vigilant.
0: sound means it's time for our question from one of our listeners we love hearing from all of you who listen to this show if you have a question visit askbishopbarron.com record your question and we might choose it for a future episode today we hear from nick in pittsburgh he's got a good question about confession and absolution so here's nick's question hi bishop barron This is Nick from Pittsburgh, and my question pertains to absolution in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Is a priest ever permitted to withhold absolution uh, to a penitent during the sacrament? And uh, if so, under what conditions would this be permissible? Uh, Thank you, Bishop Barron, and God bless.
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, The answer is yes. Uh, You know, within the confession, uh, we typically ask the penitent to uh, pray some version of the act of contrition. Well, that's not just window dressing. See, that's accomplishing two basic things. Because to receive absolution, you have to demonstrate to the satisfaction of the judge, and I'm using that language on purpose, that the confessor, to a degree in the confessional, acts as a judge. You have to make it clear to the judge that you are contrite for the sins you've, you've uh, confessed, and you have a firm purpose of amendment. Otherwise, you're kind of playing around with it. Otherwise, it's a vilayety, like, oh, yeah, I guess I've done some bad things, but I I have no real contrition. I I don't really feel this is that sinful, and I don't have any desire or or, uh, uh, purpose to amend my life. So if those two things are lacking, and if a confessor judges that, sure, he shouldn't give absolution. Um, But that's not, I'm not like over dramatizing something. It's just a, that's a, kind of normal bit of of confessional practice is that you discern, and sometimes you can discern it just in in a tone of voice. You discern it in in someone's attitude that they feel contrite over their sin and they have a purpose to amend their life. Otherwise, you, you shouldn't give absolution.
0: Well, thanks for the question, Nick. And thanks so much for all of you for listening to this show. I wanted to give a special shout out to a handful of our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help support this show, just go to wordonfireshow.com slash patron and join many of these great people, including Matt Jungel, Myra Brown, Melanie Brooks, Olga Ramirez, Paul Kyle, Rosa Kim, Sua and Jenna Cowie, Sylvia Jean and Jacques Bergeron, Trish Keller and... Uh, Kyle Davis Or Kyle Davis. Uh, Sorry if I butchered your name, but thank you so much. Thank you for supporting this show. We are so grateful for you for helping to get this show out to many more people. Also, don't forget, get your copy of Bishop Barron's new book. We talked about it last week, Letter to a Suffering Church. Pick it up at wordonfireshow.com slash letter. Free copy for one or a dollar per copy for multiple. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week on the Word on Fire show.